Would you please give a nice welcome to Ted Branshaw? Ah, praise the Lord. Well, let's pray. And we'll see what the Lord has for us today. Father, thank you. Your word is true. It says, where two or more gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. So we trust that you're here today. We trust that the head of the church, Jesus Christ, who has sent us the Holy Spirit, will now lead and guide us in all truth and awaken us to salvation, to a true knowledge of you, an understanding of your plans and your purposes. Lord, help us to see who we are in you and why we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, we did pastor out in Iowa for 17 years, and we were uh, on staff at a church in Midland for 11 years, and we have three kids, and they're all out west or Midwest, all married, and we love coming to this church. I did just get back from Kenya, and uh, uh, that's a whole other story. It is was probably the most frightening trip I've ever been on. I've been to the other side of the world about 16 times, and uh, this was quite a trip. But I teach on the ministry of the helper, and I'm not going to teach on that today. Although I will tell you that what you do in the local church is vitally important if you are a part of the body of Christ. And to make that point, and I maybe shared this illustration here before, to make that point, um, it just popped in my head. We were on the uh, shore of Lake Victoria, which is the headwaters for the Nile River, and all these pastors had come in off of the islands. It's, I think, the largest lake in the world, at least by area, but not volume. I think Superior's got it beat. But uh, all of a sudden, I had an illustration pop into my head, and so I said, bring the offering baskets, and they did like you did. And I have all these pastors and leaders, and I said, we're going to receive an offering. And you're doing it all through an interpreter. And the interpreter said, we're going to receive an offering. The funny thing about that was is that our ministry paid the way for most of those people to come because they couldn't even afford to come to the conference. Plus, we had to feed them and all those other things. And I said, this is not going to be a normal offering uh, when the bucket goes by you. Uh, look in the bottom, there'll be uh, sharp instruments, razor blades, knives, and scissors. Go ahead, tell them. And they looked at me funny. I said, when the bucket goes by you, please take one of those sharp instruments and remove from your body any part that you're willing to do without. And just go ahead and put it in the bucket, and we'll collect them all up front. And now, by this time, they're going, crazy white guy, Mazungu crazy white guy and I said you know I got a feeling the bucket will come back empty and here's why because 
if every part of your body is so important to you that you're unwilling to cut it off, even an earlobe, you're not willing to go through the pain of separation, your physical body, if you think that, what does Jesus think about his body? Are there really any parts that you think he's willing to do without? Are you, is there really any part that he considers is more important than another? No, they're all his body. So that's all I'm going to do just to remind you. If you're part of the body of Christ, you have a function. If you're part of the body of Christ, I need you as much as you need me. And every time I go someplace, I always come back learning something and feeling like I got more from them than they got from me. Um, We're back in Alpena after being in Iowa for um, almost 17 years and uh, decided not to pastor. We still work with missions. And, uh, you know, I talk to people on the other side of the world almost every day, either by text or telephone. Uh, And then I got a degree in Christian counseling. And I'm a certified temperament counselor. And so we opened a practice there, and um, it's doing well, and we're excited about that. But when I have people come in, because they know they're coming to a Christian counselor, When I first meet with them, I have my Bible and I say, now you understand that this is Christian counseling. They say, yes. I say, that means we're going to use the Bible. Do you understand? Yes. And then I'll ask the question, can you tell me, please, what is a Christian? Now, you would be amazed at the answers that I get a full variety. And I don't think that anybody I've ever asked that question to has been able to really explain to me what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody that has Jesus in their life. I say, well, why do I want Jesus in my life? Well, he'll be with you all the time. I say, well, I'm not lonely. Well, he'll heal your marriage. And uh, I say, well, I married my high school girlfriend. We've been married 35 years. We've got a great marriage. He'll heal your body. Well, I'm an Olympic athlete. What do I need Jesus for? Well, you get to go to heaven. Well, why? And when people tell me because you get to go to heaven, I say, well, then you need Jesus to get to heaven. So heaven is your goal, right? And they say, well, yeah. I say, okay, the roof is my goal. And since I can't jump up there, I need a means to get up there. Which... I guess would be a ladder. So I'll get a ladder to get to the roof, just like you got Jesus to get to heaven. So Jesus becomes a utilitarian, uh, a utility, like the ladder to get you to heaven. And your salvation is not based on the fact that you're a sinner, but it's based on the fact that you want to get to heaven and not burn. I I remember hearing Francis Chan, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Uh, he has a message out there I think on YouTube, and I think it's on this message, it's called Lukewarm and Loving It. Uh, he, He just blew me away, but he was talking to his church and he said, you want to know what keeps me awake at night? 
You want to know why I can't sleep sometimes and sometimes I weep through the night? Now, he's got a church of, I don't know if it was 3,000 or 9,000 people, but there were thousands. And he started it. And he said, you want to know what, what just grieves my spirit? He said, is that some of you, probably most of you, are not going to heaven. And you've been here since the very beginning. You don't know Jesus Christ. And I thought, wow, that is definitely not a church growth message. But it depends what kind of church that you want to grow. And so I want to challenge your Christianity. We're coming down to the wire. Something is coming our way, and it's not good. And uh, in my own belief, it's coming yet this year. Or very near to this year. Um, And I want to know that I'm ready. And I want you to know that you're ready. Which includes coming to Jesus for the right reason. If I was to say how many of you were going to heaven, most of you would raise your hands. Um, But so would the guys in Matthew 7.21. They said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out devils in your name and do miracles in your name? And yet, he said to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I'm thinking if the church down the street or this church or wherever, they had somebody in there that was prophesying and casting out devils and doing miracles, we'd all go, wow, God's really moving. We want to go there and see this. Except for, according to Matthew 7.21, those signs and wonders aren't even proof that God's there. If you heard Benny Hinn was going to be at the church next door, and I've got nothing against Benny Hinn, I don't know where he is. But I know there's a lot of signs and wonders. We'd say, wow, I want to go to this church so I can see this guy. But none of those things were proof that the Lord was even in it. So I again would ask you, are you a Christian? And then I take you to the parable of the sheep and the goats. Because if you'd ask those guys that were casting out devils a minute before they died, are you going to heaven? They just said, sure, look at the look what's happening here. We're casting out devils and and prophesying and doing miracles. But they didn't. And and the sheep and the goats, do you know the goats were surprised when he said, Depart from me. Because you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. And they were surprised they weren't going in. Why? How do you know that? Because they said, when, Lord, did we see you? When, Lord? They thought everything was good. And they were on their way in. But he said, depart from me. I never knew you. Or the parable of the ten virgins. They all planned on going in. the wedding feast they all were readied but how many went in only five five didn't make it in although they thought they were prepared and there's lots of other examples in the bible the parable of the good fish and the bad fish in the same net the the wheat and the tares that grew up in the same field I don't know if the tear knew it was a tear or, or not. But I want 
people to know why did Jesus come? And if we go back to the very first church service of the very first church, when Peter stood up and he preached, what did he say? He said, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. And that hit the mark for them. They said, what do we do? We're, we're in trouble. We've sinned. Their sin was in their face. How do we rectify this? He said, he didn't say come down front and say a prayer. What he said was, repent and put your faith in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Be baptized. Identify with Christ. Give your life over to Him. So there should be a change in our lives. Now, if you went to Mark 13, 18, you're welcome to go there. You don't have to because I'm not going to read the whole Scripture. But I'll tell you, this is the parable of the um, sower. The sower sows a seed. And it falls on four different types of ground. I, I want to challenge you this morning not to automatically think you're good ground. Don't, don't automatically think I'm good ground because I go to, to Centerpoint Church or because I've been going to church since I was a kid. Don't automatically say I'm good ground because you may not be. I may not be. Now, the seed was sown along the path on rocky ground, thorns, and on good soil. So uh, the seed sown along the path, when anyone hears the message of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away the word that was sown in their heart. Now, I, I will say that none of the first three were saved. Some people will say, well, they received the word, so they must have been saved. I would say not. Why would you say that? Because they did not produce any fruit. Jesus said, every branch that's in me that bears fruit. So you've got to be a branch that bears fruit to, to say, I'm in him. The branches that don't bear fruit get cut off and thrown into the fire. <clears throat> so who are these people that don't understand the word? These are people to whom the Word of God is veiled and they can't understand it. Not because the Word is too difficult, but because their hearts are calloused and hard, not permitting the growth of the Word. When, when I was growing up, my dad had an upholstery shop on the side that, uh, that he would do in the evenings. And sometimes us boys would be asked to or told to tear down furniture so they could put new fabric on it. And we would use a needle nose pliers. And when you start doing that, you get a red spot right there on your hand. And the red spot hurts, especially when it becomes a blister. But if you keep doing it, that blister becomes a callus. And you don't notice it anymore because there's a callus that has grown there. And this is what sown along the path is. We have a tendency to have allowed sin in our lives and we just blow past it. It doesn't convict us when we gossip. It, it, it doesn't convict us when we're watching things that we should not watch. 
that we shouldn't see. Why do we entertain ourselves with the very things that Jesus came to die for? Why is that? I don't want you to be bummed out. Some of you are looking like, whoa. But maybe we should. Maybe we should ask these questions. Paul told the Corinthian church, church. Everybody say church. Church. He told the Corinthian church. Not Joe's bar. Not the Kiwanis club. He told the church, check yourself and see if you're even in the faith. Wow. To me, that's challenging. Maybe the things you watch, uh, partake of, participate in, places that you go, things that you say, you criticize the leadership or the music, which, by the way, was wonderful this morning. You criticize that. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, he that hates disassembles with his lips. Man, I wish the pastor would just get it together. I wish they'd bring in a better guest speaker when the pastor's gone. He that hates disassembles with his lips. That's how I knew it was time for me to leave Midland. I told my wife, I said, I'm starting in my heart to feel critical towards the, the things that are happening now in the church. And I went to my pastor because I knew if I was feeling critical in my heart, it wouldn't be long before I'd start letting those things out of my lips. And we prayed together and realized it was time for us to go. And then we went to, to Iowa. Or by pride only cometh contention, Proverbs 13.10. If you're contentious, that's, that means pride is there. You can be right and be consumed with pride because you're contentious. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy because I'm holy. What does that mean? It means to be set apart for God as it were to be exclusively His. So if you're not exclusively His, then you're not good ground. The technical meaning for that, it would mean different from the world. When people look at your life, can they tell you are different from the world? Where are you at? Or rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word, receives it with joy, but there's no root and trouble and persecution comes because of the word. They quickly fall away. They, They receive it with gladness. But it doesn't last long. It doesn't last long. When temptation comes, you, you don't resist. You, you fall right into it. There, you would not believe the statistics of people, of, of, of preachers, that are consumed with pornography on the Internet. Or, or just Christians in general are going places they ought not to be. And the word that they heard gladly is stolen from them, is taken away, doesn't bear fruit because they didn't resist the devil. In fact, Paul said, Know ye not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey? His servant you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto life. What does that say? 
That means whoever you yield yourself to, he's your master. And any time he wants, he can just jerk your chain and you have to obey him. Don't you know? Paul said, Know ye not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey? What do you yield to? Because whatever you yield to, his servant you are to whom you obey. You're his servant. Um, here's one that just shocked me because I had never seen it before. I just recently came across this. I know the scripture. Everybody knows the scripture. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you acknowledged Jesus before men? That you took the opportunity to say, you need Jesus, and here's why. I'm a Christian. It doesn't say just you, you didn't... Uh, you, you were like Peter and said, I don't know him. He said, if you don't acknowledge me. When I went to Kenya this time, uh, I flew out of Grand Rapids and there was this blonde, ditzy girl that sat next to me. You know, she came down the aisle and I'm going, no, 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 no. And she sat next to me. She was a pretty girl, long blonde hair. And uh, talk, 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 jabber, 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 jabber. And she told me, um, last time I flew, she said, I cried. I have only, this is only my second time. And I said, well, why did you cry? She said, I was afraid the plane was going to crash. I said, well, I can tell you with great assurance, this plane is not going to crash. Well, how do you know that? I said, because I'm on it. And God told me to go to Kenya, and I can't get to Kenya if the plane crashes. So you're at least safe till we get to Chicago. <laughs> and then I told her, I mean, I asked her about her life and what she did and wanted to do. And, and, and when we took off, she, this total stranger, she she buried her face into my shoulder, you know, like I was I, her friend or something. I, I didn't know her. She just was like, get off me if my wife sees this. This is not going to be good. But in that 30-minute flight, I, I acknowledged Jesus. And she said, no one's ever explained it to me like that before. That makes so much sense. I said, well, I believe that God's not done. And I think when you get on your next plane on your way to Georgia, that you should ask the person next to you, are you a Christian? And if they say no, just blow it off. But I believe that God will bring a, another person into your life soon to help you understand more. Because it's God who does it. I planted Apollos water, but God is the one who brings the increase. When was the last time you acknowledged Jesus before men? If you haven't, you may not be good ground. 
You could be rocky soil. Or thorns refers to someone who hears the Word, but the worries of this world, of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the Word and make it of no effect. The the problem with this category is that the Word of God is kept in their hearts, but it's kept in their hearts along with other things. I mean, you, you... Many of you shook your head when I said, something's coming. You know it's there. Does it consume you more than the Word? The deceitfulness of riches? The lust for other things? Man, my neighbor, he don't even go to church. Guy's got three jet skis. I work my tail off and volunteer for everything at church, and, and, and I don't. I can hardly pay my bills. Whoa, that guy got a new boat. Wow, to have a summer home. Wouldn't that be something? The cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust for other things. The economy is maybe something that consumes you, or the weather in Michigan is always a topic. Uh, Toys that your neighbor has. You, You know, I've told people for years, and I believe that it's true, Jesus should be our prize. Not people falling over, not even people being healed. I do not want to be healed. I want to know the healer. There's a difference in that. But I've told people for years, now pay attention because this this is one you may want to put on Facebook later. If you can't be happy with Jesus Christ and what you have where you're at, you will never be happy with Jesus Christ and what you think you need where you think you need it. Because in His presence is fullness of joy. If this bottle was full, there's a little bit there, but if I filled it right to the top, there's no room in there for me to add anything else. And the thing that I moan over, if I only had this, if I I had one of those, if the sun would shine, Oh, it's going to snow again. You know, I've learned the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament His handiwork. And I've learned to just come outside and let, let nature speak to me. To watch the river go by from our our living room window and the geese are coming and the turtles are coming up to lay their eggs and to watch the trees change. And look at that and go, wow, God, this is so cool. It is declaring your glory. But also at the same time, when the snow comes down in buckets, say, God, you did that. God asked Job, do you know where I store the snow? Do you know where it's at? God did that. And when those things consume us, our worries about them, then maybe we're not good ground. A friend of mine, her husband just died. She, I Actually, I led her to the Lord when we first went to Iowa and we've remained in contact since we've been back, but her husband got cancer and he died just recently within the last month. 
But I kind of walked with her through this, even though I wasn't in Iowa, and she called me and told me about the cancer, and, and I said, Luann, can, let me ask you a question. Because they were asking God to heal him. I said, Luann, is God good? And she said, yes, God is good. I said, all right, let me ask you another question. If God does not heal Ed, if you don't get what you're hoping for, is God still good? And she said, yes. I said, okay. I'll believe God with you. We'll pray together. But in the end, it's God who heals and not man. And so I can't tell you what the plan is for Ed's life. God numbered his days, though, and he knows when he was born, and he knows exactly when he's going to die because God did it. And I talked to Ed about two weeks before he died and on the phone and I, we laughed together and I said, Ed, in a short time, you're going to be in a place that we only preach about, that we talk about. You're going to see things that we don't even have the concept of, but we do our best to expound them anyhow. You're going to be there. We laughed together and, and he died two weeks later. And then when Luann called me and told me, I said, Luann, is God good? And she said, yes. Because God is good. God is good. And God withholds no good thing from those that walk uprightly. Well, why did he withhold healing? Well, maybe from God's perspective, the good thing for Ed was for Ed to be in God's presence. I think I'd rather be in God's presence than be healed. Well, what about Luann? Maybe it was good for Luann that in the midst of her sorrow, she would fall at the cross and come into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ than she ever dreamed possible. Maybe God saw that to be better than the life she was living. See, we have a people perspective. We don't have a God perspective. So those are, those are the, the thorns. Those are the thorns. And then there's the good soil. This re, re, is, refers to those who hear the word, understand it, and produce a crop yielding 30, 60, or 100 fold. So, so don't automatically, don't automatically go to this thing, I'm good soil, I'm good ground. I just gave you a whole lot of reasons why you might not be. If you've never read the book, Respectable Sins, by Jerry Bridges, I would encourage you to get it. When we got it, my wife read it and was reading it, and we usually read together, and I thought, she said, we really need to read this together. And I thought, no, Respectable Sins, you know, come on, I'm Pastor Ted. And finally, she got me to read it with her. And I read through it, and I said, I do that. I do that. I do that. And didn't even realize that it is sin. What, what, what is the, the sin of ungodliness? 
Would you say you're an ungodly person? The sin of ungodliness is living every day of life with little or no concept or knowledge that no thought of God, you don't think of God throughout the day, you, you don't consider his will in the things that you do, you, you don't give him the glory for the snowstorm, you, you don't depend on him, but you depend on your business, your paycheck, and the work. That's ungodliness. That would take you and me out of the good ground category. And our lives should change. When you come to know Christ, your life should change. It should be different. Salvation should be evidenced by change, an outward demonstration of an inward revelation. I asked my dad one time when he was alive, I said, there were six kids. I said, Dad, did we all turn out the way you thought? And he said, nope, you didn't. I said, really, what did you think I'd be? He said, an alcoholic and a drug addict. Obviously, I became a new creature. Somebody asked him one time, hey, what's Ted up to? He said, well, he's out in Iowa pastoring. Oh, no, that, you must be talking about Bob. I know Ted. He wouldn't be no pastor. Yeah, and he said, no, you don't know Ted. This Ted's not the same. So, I want to challenge you with that. An outward demonstration. See, if you assume that you've been justified because you prayed a prayer, that you have had justification applied to your life, and now you have salvation, but it, you have no fruit of sanctification or being set apart, you, you're not saved. You're not saved if your life didn't change. Faith without works is not faith. It's dead. You say, wow, this isn't a very encouraging message. It should be. Because you get a chance to take the Word of God and look at it. I would much rather find out right now that I'm in trouble with God than have to stand before Him and have Him say, I tried to tell you plainly. And that's what He said in one of the versions of Matthew 7.21 to the people who cast out devils and did miracles and such. He said, and now I tell you plainly. What does that mean? It means I'm in your face right now and you can't deny me. You're standing at the judgment seat. There's no place for you to hide. There's no bottle for you to drink. There's no pornography for you to get lost in. There's no fishing rod for you. Now I tell you plainly. I tried to tell you before, but you wouldn't listen. I never knew you. I never knew you. See, we judge other people by their actions. But we judge ourselves by our intentions. Let me say that again. We judge other people by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. So, I wanted to bring that out in, in this message. So now I'm going to start preaching. Lord, I have 30 minutes. Okay.
45. But I want you to take a look at your life and your relationship with Christ. Now, the two scriptures I, I want to talk to you about now and compare are Matthew seven twenty one. Not any, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And also Acts 2.21, which says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't those seem like they contradict each other? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't they sound like they contradict? They did to me. So I, I wanted to dig into it and go, no, the Bible does not contradict itself. So what, what am I missing here? What am I not seeing? Well, the two words that you have to focus on, the first one, not everyone who says, is the word says. And the, and, and the second one, uh, it, it says means to point out with words, to intend. To intend. To mean, to say. And whoever calls means to put a name upon, a surname, to permit oneself to be renamed. Here, here's my example for both of those. Um, we grew up in Alpena, in that area, Lachine, Long Rapids. Vicki and I were high school sweethearts uh, for three years. We got married. As soon as her graduation happened, we got married. Uh, 35 years we've been married. And I, I don't regret getting married as young as I did. And I don't recommend it for, for anybody. But for me, I would do it all over again. And uh, so she had my class ring. You know, I don't know if kids still do that. But she had my class ring. And, and uh, there was no doubt she was my girlfriend. And we went to what some of you might recognize, the Posen Potato Festival. You ever heard of that? The governor comes to it, rides on a float. But we went to the Posen Potato Festival, me and my girlfriend, Vicky. And at the Posen Potato Festival, there was a guy there that was selling t-shirts and he put whatever you wanted on the t-shirt. And so I said, uh, okay, I'll take two t-shirts. They're bright red. They were bright red. I said, put on one t-shirt in three-inch letters, Ted. He said, what do you want on the other one? Three-inch letters, Ted's girl. So we had Ted and Ted's girl. Why? Why'd you do that? Because I intended... To make that a reality. Ted's girl. I intended to make her mine. But was she mine at that point? No. No. We held hands like any married couple would. We even smooched a bit. And I bought her a funnel cake. And we polkaed and... We did all the things that married couples might have done if they went to the Posen Potato Festival. And she had a shirt that said, Ted's girl. Except for, she wasn't mine. Because anytime her mom wanted, she could say, Vicki, get in the house. 
And Vicki would have to obey. That means to intend. I intended. Maybe you come to church with good intentions. Like the pastor preaches on prayer and you intend to get up a half hour early every day now because that was such a powerful message. But turned out one of those first three soils, you fell into that category and that lasted about three days. Or maybe he taught on tithing and offerings. And you intended to do that. And you did for a couple weeks. But pretty soon you had a bill due and something else happened and vacation. And if we do this, we can't. And you intended to, but you didn't. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Vicki's mom could call her in any time she wanted because she wasn't mine. But then came the day of our wedding. I had not seen Vicki in her wedding dress. I'm standing at the altar with my best man and the preacher. And they start that music. Dun, 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 and everybody stands up. And here comes Vicki on her dad's arm in that dress that I had never seen. And honest to God, my thoughts were this. For me? That's for me? And she came to the altar, Vicki Oliver. She was under the authority of her parents. But she allowed herself to be renamed. To get a new surname, Branshaw. And when we left that place, she was no longer under her mother's authority and father. But now she had become one together with me. And her mom could yell all she want, Vicki, get in the house. And she didn't have to. Know ye not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, you're his servant whether of sin unto death or obedience unto life. So the question is, do you intend to? Do you live your Christianity with uh, good intentions? I, I'm not pastoring right now, but I, I, you know the church we're going to, I noticed there's not as many people, and then I, I told Vicki one day, I said, I forgot that during the summertime, everybody disappears. They, they go away. They go on vacation. There's nothing wrong with going on vacation. But they disappear. And they take their tithes and offerings with them when they go. And you tighten your belt when you're a pastor during the summer months. Oh, they had great intentions of mailing in their tithe or making it up when they came back or offering however you do it. But they didn't. Good intentions. We judge others by their actions, ourselves by our intentions. Amen? Amen. So which one are you? Are you someone who has been renamed? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. 
Whoever knows to do good and doesn't do it, for him it's sin. What are the things that God puts right in front of you that you could do, but you don't? Because God calls that sin. Which one are you? Now, in the last few minutes I have here, I want to give you 10 true Christian traits or ways that you can rest assured you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, working in you, which provide a solid biblical evidence that you are a Christian and that you can know that you're saved. Let me give you this list very quickly. Now, just doing this list does not make you a Christian. Just doing these things doesn't make you a Christian. You don't see, you don't go past an orchard and, and see an apple tree out there going, mm, mm, this is so hard. Mm, get up and pray and mm, giving that offering. No, apple trees just bear fruit. That's what they do. Same is true for us. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away and all things become new. Or do you just intend to? So here's ten things. Number one, do you have a conviction of sin? Do you feel convicted when you sin? Is there an overwhelming sense that you did something wrong? A person that continually sins without remorse may not be a Christian at all. Now, I know that 1 John uh, 1.6 says, uh, if we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Of course Christians sin after salvation. I'm not saying that you never sin. But does it convict you to the point where you say, I don't want to do that again. I don't want that for my life. Or we had a Bible school instructor that used to say, is sin chasing you or are you chasing sin? There's a difference. Or if you pre-plan your forgiveness, I'm going to go ahead and do this. But I know 1 John 1.9 says, if any man confess his sin, so I'm going to do this now and get forgiveness later because God promised He'd give it to me. I would tell you, you are already in trouble before the act is done. Well, you're not jumping up and down. Do you love one another? That's number two. 1 John 2, 9 through 11 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Who is it in church or out of church or in church? Brother and sister, you just don't want to... I can't believe that person even goes to church. After what they taught, after what they said, after what they did, I don't even want them to sit by me. Hmm. Well, the fruit of Christianity is that you love the brothers and sisters. And sometimes that's a decision of the will. Not a warm, gushy feeling. You decide to. Same way with being married. Same way with being married. That's a decision 
That's a willful decision to make those vows. Not a, woo, is she hot kind of thing. Because that isn't going to last. I've been fortunate my wife has been hot for all 35 years, but some people are not fortunate like that. She's going to change. You're going to change. Amen? Number three, abstaining from sin. As point number one stated, every Christian can still sin, but they do not remain in sin or keep sinning as if nothing's wrong. I've heard many who confess to be Christians for themselves or someone else who live in ways that are contrary to the ways of God, but they say, uh, that guy's just a carnal Christian. Do you realize that is an oxymoron? Those, are, those words are opposite. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. That's like being a little bit pregnant. Well, I'm a little bit pregnant. No, no, no. You either are pregnant or you aren't. Well, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm a carnal Christian. No, no, no. You either are a Christian or you aren't. And if you are a Christian, you're growing and changing. Number four, hungering and thirsting for God. To hunger and thirst is a, a, a strong indicator that the Holy Spirit is actively working in a believer. D- David had this intense hunger and thirst in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Is that the way you wake up? Most mornings I don't. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. But for Christians, number five, seeking those which are lost. Do you know that sadly, 95% of people who call themselves Christians do not share their faith? 95%. I wonder if that falls into that if you don't. Confess me before men. I won't confess you before the Father. But anyhow, 95% don't share their faith. 73% of those who do not attend church have never been asked. So does your heart burn for the lost? Glorifying Jesus or self? I will tell you that this was one that was pointed out to me the first time I went to India. I thought, oh my goodness, everything I'm doing is about me. It's more about me than it is about Christ. Here I am teaching pastors on foreign soil, doing television and radio and sending out newsletters and I'm doing all this stuff. And I realized it was more about me. I liked walking into a hospital to visit somebody and or being in a restaurant and somebody turn around and go, are you that guy on the radio? Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. I watch you every night. Oh, yeah. But in India my first time, I saw people who were so all in, there was they, they wanted nothing. And they would give you everything for the sake of a soul. 
And I was so convicted, I called my wife and I said, Vicki, if these people are Christians, I'm not even saved. I'm telling you. Never seen people like that before. I came home from that trip. I stood in the pulpit after about two weeks. And I said, until I know that what I'm doing, I'm doing for the right reason, I'm not doing anything. So I've canceled every missions trip, every conference. I'm not speaking in other churches, no newsletters, and I'm pulling the radio and television. People thought I'd lost my mind. What happened in India? Did he get a parasite? No, I got a new mind. It was the mind of Christ. And I realized it was a lot of self-glorification. Are you loving Jesus or loving the world? We're told not to love the things of the world because if we do, the love of God is not in us. Most of us spend more time on the computer, watching TV, or hobbies than we do in the Word of God or in prayer. Number eight, our hearts are where our treasure is. We've been given many resources in this world. Most Americans have been blessed above and beyond the vast majority of the world. If you are somebody that says, I hate America, please meet with me right after the service, and I will help you purchase a ticket to any place in the world. Any place. Because you got it better if you're on welfare, than most of the people in the rest of the world. Do you know that half the world lives on a dollar fifty a day or less? We were down in the slums in Nairobi. The pastor that I was with had a church down there. And I said, obviously there's no plumbing here. What do they do? And he said, they take a plastic bag, do their business in there, and then just throw it in the street. He said, so you really got to watch where you're walking at night. Ah. So I'll help you get there if you want. See me after church. We are so blessed. Why? I don't know. Is your treasure Jesus Christ? Is that your treasure? Because... We see that Colossians says in all things he should have preeminence. That means he should come first. It says the story about the treasure that's hidden in the field. The guy went and sold everything he had and bought that field so he could have that treasure. Is that you? Is that me? Or the guy that was a merchant and saw the pearl of great price went and sold everything he had so he could buy that pearl. That was his treasure. What is your treasure? I find myself falling into that ungodly category sometimes. I'll go through a whole day and won't even think about God. I'll forget to thank Him for the chickens that are out there in my yard laying eggs. Or the weather that we're having. It's difficult for me to thank him for the mosquitoes. They're terrible this year. But I'm sure they serve a purpose. At least our little chickens like them. But is that you? Do you visit, number nine, do you visit widows and orphans? 
This might be one of the most under overlooked job descriptions of a Christian. But James made it clear, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And then number 10. I already shared the scripture with you. 2 Corinthians 13, Paul said, Examine yourselves and see whether you're even in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Wow. Why did Jesus come? To seek and save those that were lost. To seek and save the lost. Not to heal your marriage. I'm not saying these things aren't wonderful byproducts. If I go to my top, my second drawer in my bedroom, my socks are in there. And if I see my socks in there, I know Vicky's been there. Because she put my socks in that drawer after she washed them. And I can rejoice and go, boy, I love that girl. Got my drawer full of socks. But she, those socks are not Vicky. I'd rather have Vicky than the socks. And many times that's what we do is we settle for the socks. For the goosebump, for the miracle, for the prophetic word, whatever it is. But our treasure should be Jesus Christ. In all things, He is to have preeminence. Now, if you came to Jesus for any other way, I, I don't. Have you ever heard of uh, Ray Comfort? Ray Comfort wrote a book called "Hell's Best Kept Secret." If you've never read it, I'd encourage you just to go online and listen to it. You can listen to it for free, or I think you might be able to download it for free. But Hell's Best Kept Secret is the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that God gave us the law for what? To show us we need a Savior. To show us we need a Savior. He didn't, he, he, he didn't give you the sniffles so that you'd run to Jesus. He gave us the law to show us we were sinners and without hope. We're hopeless. If you, if you just read the Beatitudes, they stack one on another. The life of a Christian. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You come to that place where you go, Oh God, I'm bankrupt spiritually. I have no hope. Which is actually the second one. Blessed are those who mourn. You come to that place of saying, God, without you. We used to help at a church that gave food away. They'd buy semi-loads of food. And I was the guy that walked up to the window and said, how many boxes? And I'd greet them. And some of those young moms, I could look in their face and I could tell they didn't want to be there. That this was an absolute embarrassment for them to be there. But they knew that if they didn't go there, their kid wasn't going to eat. So they had to humble themselves and come and get their food. Do you know that's not much different than us? 
when we realize that we have to humble ourselves before the Lord because we're sinners. Ray Comfort, when he witnesses to people, and this is what I did to that girl on the airplane, I said, um, are you a good person? She said, yes, I'm a good person. I said, really? Okay, can I ask you some questions? How many lies have you told in your life? Oh, she said, I don't know, but I know a lot of them. I said, okay. Um, have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? Pen, pencil, you know, something bigger, whatever? Oh, she said, yes, of course. I said, did you ever look at some guy somewhere? You know, you're not married, and you look at him, and you go, nice butt. She said, yes. I said, have you ever hated anyone? She said, yes. I said, well, Jesus calls that murder. And by the way, he calls adultery, or he calls lusting after someone who's not yours adultery. So if you don't mind, let me just say it back to you what you just said to me, okay? What you just told me is that you are a liar, a thief, an adulteress, and a murderer. Is that correct? She said, yeah, I guess so. I had one guy in my counseling deal. I told him the very same thing. He's probably 40 years old. He just started to cry in Christian counseling. And he said, my God, I'm going to hell, aren't I? I said, you don't have to. That's why Jesus came, to seek and to save those that were lost. He is your only hope. Friend, that's Christianity. That's Christianity. I've had people come to the church when I was in Iowa before I understood this. I remember one guy, he came to the church. And, can I talk to the pastor? Yes, that's me. What can I help you with? Well, I drive by here all the time. And I've always meant to come to the church. And, and I just got some struggles. And I said, okay, well, what's happening? Well, my wife left me. First thing, you need Jesus. And yes, pray this prayer. I gave him a Bible, and I said, now you get in church on Sunday. Okay. Now one of two things is going to happen, and did. Either his wife is not going to come back, and he doesn't need God because God failed him, or his wife is going to come back, and he doesn't need the church anymore because he's got his wife. So did that guy really come to Christ? I don't think so. There should be a change. And I'm over time. There should be a change. John seventeen twenty six. I have made known to them and will continue to make known to them in order that the love you have for me would be in them that I myself might be in them. God, Jesus wants us to have the same love for him that the Father had for him. And I'm telling you, that's like the apple tree out there straining. You can't. Unless it's God doing it, you can't love Jesus to the degree that God loves him. And so that's where you seek the Lord. 
and you recognize I'm like that lady that drove up in the car in the food line. I'm embarrassed, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless without Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the grace that you show us today. Lord, this is a difficult message. But Lord, I believe you bring it just like when the rich young ruler was told, this is what you have to do to be saved. Lord, you looked at him and you loved him and you told him the truth. That's what the Word says. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, go and sell all you have. And he turned and walked away. Lord, this is, a, this is a tough word, but it's a true word. I don't want any of us, me included, I don't want to end up in the pit because I, I avoided what the Spirit of God was trying to speak to me in my whole life. Put a fire within us, Lord, as believers. Put a, put a, a, a love for your Son, Father. Put a love in us. We can't be changed. We can't be changed without it. And let us live now with boldness in these last of the last of the last days. And let it be for your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray a sinner's prayer. You can. It's, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, but you can pray one. I did. I didn't have any angels sing and no clouds parted or anything. But I prayed a prayer and I said, Jesus, I know I'm already messing up. And if you don't come and save me, I'm lost. And if you're really real like that guy said you were, then I want you to be my Lord. I didn't even get a goosebump. But the next day I told the high school teacher that told me about Jesus, hey, I prayed that prayer. You know what he did? He hugged me. Gross. Junior in high school, high school teacher hugs you. Ugh. He took me out into the next room. He said, Bill, Ted's received the Lord. You know what he did? He hugged me. But I'm going to tell you, my life changed. I've never lived a perfect life, and I won't pretend to be the model of Christianity. If I go through that list of ten things, I see places where I'm falling short. But I see them enough to say, Lord, help me to bear fruit in these areas. Help me to hunger and thirst for you. Help me to be bold and confess you before men. Help me. Help me to care about the lost. To grieve over the lost. Help me. Help me. If that's where you live, friend, I would say you are a Christian. Not a perfectly 
sanctified in this life one. I mean, you're sanctified, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, but your life should change, be set apart. That's what sanctification means. If there's no change, I'm telling you there's no salvation. Amen? Now, I'm not going to apologize for the word. I, I used to do that. My wife said, stop apologizing for the word. You didn't write it. But if I stepped on your toes today, good, good. I pray that everyone would have an experience like I had in India where I said, my God, if these people are Christians, I'm not saved. And I was not being facetious. I saw something I'd never seen before. No agenda but Jesus. Amen? You're going to close us out? I am. Okay. Ted doesn't, uh, he probably doesn't know most of you by name. And I don't believe for a minute that he came here to pick on anybody or to judge anybody. I think he came here because he loves you and because his job as a pastor and as a Christian is to scream from the mountaintops, maybe, if necessary. God loves you, and this is where he wants you to be. So thank you, Ted. That is a hard word. Um, we don't have any rails, and we're not running you out of town. <laughs> um, thank you for being here this morning. We're going we're gonna to close out this morning. If you, if you need some prayer time with somebody, I'm not your pastor, and I, I would be happy to pray with you. I'm sure that Ted would be happy to pray with you. There are people here that care about you, that would be happy to pray with you and for you. And uh, we've been here to praise God. We've been here to learn more about God and our Savior Jesus. And all of us can learn more. So if there's somebody here that can help you or if you, want to, if you haven't received the Lord, we would like to help you get down that path as well. I'm going to ask if you would stand with us and, and we'll... We'll uh, close out the service this morning. And thank you again for visiting with us, or, or if this is your home church, thank you for being here today. You alone are all I need, for you hold my destiny. You alone are all that I need, and you alone I am complete. Draw me, draw me, Lord, and I'll come running after you. Draw me, draw me, Lord. 
You hold my destiny. 